This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Shall we begin? <laughs> Expecto Patronum! Mr. Silver? Why, Mr. Arrow, sir? Bringing such fine-looking distinguished gents to grace my humble galley. Had I known, I'd have talked to me, sir. <laughs> Cyborg. May I introduce Dr. Doppler, the financier of our voyage. Love the outfit, Zark. Well, thank you. Um, love the eye. Um, <coughs> this young lad is Jim Hawkins. Jimbo. BFM 89.9. Hello, everybody. You are listening to Popcorn Culture with Lynn and Sharmila. Um, we thought we would have Arvin back on the show with us today, but alas, our compatriot has fallen to a lost voice. So <laughs> fingers crossed he'll be back with us by Supercut. Um, but we are doing a, I guess, a theme this week of movies that are cult favourites or that perhaps were underrated or that we heard about through word of mouth. And we're starting off with one of Disney's previously considered duds. It has, we can argue about it, but uh, we're throwing back 20 years to Treasure Planet. I think pre- I think previously considered duds is Fair, um, because when it first came out, Treasure Planet really wasn't a success. Um, it was also one of the last few, if not the last, hand-drawn animation uh, works that they did. And um, I think it also is the time that it came out in, right? Because it came out in um, in 2002. It kind of bridged that shift between hand-drawn animation to computer animation and for multiple reasons I think it didn't do well. I however was one of those that loved it when it first came out and I was really shocked to realize that it wasn't most people's favorites Um, and so I'm quite glad to be throwing back to it. Interesting, interesting. Okay, so um, just to start us off, it was co-written, co-produced and directed by John Musker and Ron Clements and uh, those are names you might recognize from, for example, um, The Great Mouse Detective, The Little Mermaid, you know, so, so some of Disney's some of Disney's underrated favourites, but also just favourite favourites. Mm-hmm. And it is a, an adaptation of Robert Louis Stevenson's Treasure Island, except set, as you can probably guess from the title, in space. And therefore starts off with a young man who is restless um, on his planet, looking for something greater, and then thrust into his hands is an adventure and a mystery. And he basically sets off in order to to do that, um, meeting along the way captains and pirates and other, I guess, mysteries, all at the, all part of this larger thing of searching for treasure. So I will confess, I'm a huge, huge fan of Treasure Island, the book, which might explain why this one holds such a special place for me, right? And I found the concept of uh, transposing the story of um, this pirate ships looking for treasure, sailing the seven seas onto, uh, uh, onto the idea of intergalactic space travel really clever. And that's still one of the highlights of the movies for me this time around. The fact that they basically treat uh, space adventures and space travel the way um, 
people sailed the seas before. So ships, spaceships look very much like ships. Um, they use some kind of solar power, but it still depends on sails. The different planets essentially stand in for different foreign lands or different islands. So there's something very clever and simultaneously old school, but also sci-fi inspired about the movie that I love. Um, I also really just love the the nods to the original, the fact that they have a John Silver. Um, you know, the fact that Jim Hawkins is uh, the kind of character he was in the books. Um, but then, of course, Disney fights, so some of the darker stuff is kind of polished out a bit. Uh, but to me, it was a very, it's one of those classic um, young boy finding himself, looking for a father figure, um, figuring out his place in the world, kind of story. So to be fair, nothing phenomenal or spectacular, but just really heartwarming, fun to watch and beautiful to look at. Look, you're not alone in my life <laughs> with enjoying Treasure Planet. I know people who love it for uh, the exact reasons that you've just said, namely the boy's own adventure quality, this idea of having a young man Hunting for treasure. I mean, is there a story that is more classic or adventurous in some ways um, to fiction that is particularly for young boys, right, than that? And that appeals across the board because everybody likes the idea of setting um, setting out, being far away from home for the first time, having to make your own way, having to make a name for yourself. These are all things that are part of Treasure Planet. Having said that, um, I am not the hugest fan of this. I guess if I were part of the um, 2002 audience, maybe I would feel differently. But being somebody who is encountering this movie for the first time in 2022, I think I first watched it in 22 or 21, um, Watching it for the first time now, I think there are... I can respect the animation. There's a lot of the animation that, frankly, is really beautiful and um, is exactly that that blending of what Disney used to do and what Disney does now that's really quite enjoyable to watch because it's basically hand-drawn 2D animation on top of computer animation mm -hmm. that's done in 3D. So you basically get the depth that you want, um, but at the depth and detail and some of the, the cooler stuff that maybe you can only achieve with CG along with the more tactile quality of 2D. So I, I understand the appeal of the animation, but for me, it's a very... If I say I like it, it's a very intellectual exercise. Um, as far as the story goes, I don't know. I think tonally, it just never really settled for me. And I'm not sure why exactly that is. Maybe it's my fault. Maybe I was expecting <laughs> more Disney and, and didn't know how to account for a story that is Disney, but also not. Maybe this is the problem with word of mouth cinema or cult classics or cult favorites, right? That you hear so much about it. And then when you finally do get around to watching it, you're kind of like, oh, is that is that all it was? I remember saying something like that about The Goonies because oh, I yeah. never watched it. When, Neither when had I. I. Yeah. And then rewatching it, I was like, oh, okay. Intellectually, I get it, but I don't connect to the heart. Um this is very different for me, right? Um, uh, for me, rewatching was more like re-familiarizing myself. There's a there's an iconic scene that everyone who's a fan of this film talks about, which is Long John Silver and uh, Jim having a heart to heart on the deck of the ship uh, at night, and that still got to me. Um, the fact that everyone is animated in these quirky, uh, because they're not just humans, basically, you know, it, it's 
different races of people. Well, you heard it whispered there. Yes. Cyborgs. Yes, yes. <laughs> Cyborgs. And so the animation is is that great combination of cool and gross that I think is catered particularly to boys. Oh, that's such a good point because I'm wondering now... Um, Again, this is something I've spoken about on the show before that I feel a certain measure of discomfort when put into uncomfortable filmic spaces. In other words, when when I'm in a film world that feels kind of grimy or is very hot and dusty, I take a moment to adjust. Um, It's why cowboy movies, I take a moment. (laughs) Desert movies, I take a moment. So possibly the grottiness of Treasure Planet um, might have been an issue. But you're right. I mean, I'm a big believer that actually animation should have space for the gross because there are things that you can do within an animated space that you can't do even with um, or with stop motion, for example, it might get a bit too real, uh, never mind live action. So there are things that can be done with hand-drawn animation where you can get a bit grotty and grimy in a way that isn't as unappealing as when you do it in real life. So yeah, now, I'm now wondering whether that's a part of it. That's interesting because I love the the feel of this film. Uh, but then again, yeah, I but love... you're a pirate girl. Yeah, We've yeah. established that exactly. So the more I think about it, I mean, the same reason why I love Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, the same reason why I love stories of children running away and hiding in I don't know hangars or ships or whatever. I feel like your your parents should be concerned listening to this. I was that kid who had a backpack. Um, uh, hoping to run away to an island somewhere. So yeah, nobody nobody's surprised that I like this movie. So we're talking today about a 20-year-old treasure planet um, that was basically, it's a Disney film, and it's one of the last few, I think, of, of this type, where it's specifically you know 2D animation, although there is some 3D built into it. Um, it is also, by the way, the most expensive traditionally animated film to date, which, to be fair, I think is visible. Like, you can see it on the screen. Let us know. Um, have you watched Treasure Planet? Did you enjoy it? Um, are you now are you now planning to? You can WhatsApp us 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. Brainy fancy material. BFM 89.9. I got some plans. Gonna make people see me a little different. Ooh. Sometimes plans go astray. Not this time. So, uh, how'd that happen anyway? You give up a few things, chasing a dream. Was it worth it? I'm hoping it is, Jimbo. I most surely am. BFM 89.9, you're listening to Popcorn Culture with Lynn and Sharmila. And today we're throwing back 20 years to Treasure Planet, uh, which is a Disney film from 2002, directed by John Musker and Ron Clements. And uh, we haven't talked about the voice cast, actually, featuring the voice uh, that you heard there of Joseph Gordon-Levitt, as well as Brian Murray, David Hyde-Pierce, who plays um, an anthropomorphic dog doctor which we can talk about in a bit more detail emma thompson martin short it's actually quite a stacked cast so sharmila we've now laid out pretty clearly where we stand i think you are a big fan of this movie you're the scroop of this review i i, <laughs> I you know you know i i don't even care for that comparison um so Okay, not a huge fan, um, but that scene was the one that you were talking about earlier. The the one that you said is something that uh, fans of the film, such as yourself, um, talk about and refer back to. Tell us why it's great. 
I think it's great because of exactly the the thrust of the film, right? This boy who um, lost his dad when he was very young, uh, felt abandoned, felt like nobody else understood who he was. And then here's this unlikely character in the form of Long John Silver, who up till that point, you don't know whether it's really necessarily positive or negative. Um, and actually, that's one thing the movie manages to do quite well. Yeah. Um, not reveal its cards in terms of who John Silver really is and what his aim or ultimate endgame might be. Um, and for a kid's film, I think they they sort of manage that balance really well. So I agree with that. Um, I, I do think that the question of who is a villain, what is a villain, um, or even somebody who's like lost his limbs and, and shows up looking plenty menacing, um, I think that it does reconfigure in some ways uh, what we think of as as evil or bad. And I like that. Um, it does also all the way up until the final third, even maybe the final quarter or fifth of the film, um, it still kind of plays around with those questions. Uh, I think part of why it gets to do that is because Jim Hawkins is not very likable. That's just a personal <laughs> opinion. Um, I, 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 you know, I don't disagree. I wouldn't say he's unlikable. I don't think he's super exciting. And... In my mind, I realise I conflate him a lot with um, Atlantis, right. the other animated film uh, where the main character is voiced by Michael J. Fox. And he's extremely likeable. And I think when some time goes by and I haven't watched this film, I conflate those two characters together a lot. And I realise this isn't the one I like. So Jim Hawkins um, in the book is younger. Uh, Jim Hawkins here is more, I mean, he's described as an adolescent, but as played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt, he sounds a little bit older. He's uh, drawn a little bit older. So because of that, I think some of the whiny qualities <laughs> to the character I found less enjoyable. Um, and it is in some ways maybe my primary fault with the movie that it is told through the point of view of Jim because I think that John Silver is very interesting. Uh, I think that Captain Amelia Smollett is very interesting. She's amazing. She is. She's a she's a cat captain voiced <laughs> by Emma Thompson. And that would have been great. I would love to have seen the adventures of Captain Amelia um, and perhaps not so much Jim which is not a ding on the voice performances. As you can hear there, I think that um, they're, they're Good to serviceable, actually. It's just, yeah, I, the central character doesn't work for me. I agree. Um, it didn't take away for me from the enjoyment of the film. <laughs> you were too busy imagining I running know, away. I know, but I can, and maybe that's why, right? Because I'm just like, oh, I'm that person. I don't really need for this person to be interesting. Um, that said, I thought Brian Marie as the voice of uh, John Silver was amazing. Mm. Um, the accent, as we heard there, the bravura, the often quite terrifying sounding and then like at the at the flip of a switch sounding really sort of like caring and fatherly I thought he was great I thought David Hyde Pierce was great as well um, I love the scenes between David Hyde Pierce and Emma Thompson you know I was thinking about um, about the point that I just made about how long it takes for the movie to reveal its hand and I think that that relates back to my issue with the tone and pacing of the film this is going to be a negative couched as a positive or vice versa because I think the movie has several fantastic set pieces and maybe that's part of the problem um, because the opening sequence which is the solar surf sequence yes. that happens is great uh, the sailing through space and planets is beautiful the central confrontation that happens on treasure planet 
all of it looks absolutely spectacular. I think it stands up even to animation 20 years on. If you saw this movie today, animation-wise, it would totally stand up. But maybe having so many set pieces in that sense also means that I did not feel the dips and valleys and the motion of the story in the way that I would have wanted. Because now, looking back, and if I think about the viewing experience of the film, I'm not left with any emotional feelings. I don't think, oh, I'm, I'm glad it ended that way. Instead, I'm left with images and visuals more than anything. Yes, the story doesn't have a great rise and fall. Um, it's kind of adventure, adventure, adventure. Not even adventure in anything great happens. Um, they're in a ship. It's almost like the movie thinks it's enough to give you eye candy um, and this sort of adventure on a ship with a finale. Am I turning you? I feel you're like not, I might you're be. You're not, you're not. But I am, so I'm doing the intellectual thing and taking a step back, uh, putting my emotions in a box and and saying that, yes, I see where, where you're coming from with that. Um, I do think though that for me, the visual aspects of it, the inventiveness of the world, uh, the inventiveness of um, what it's like to, yeah, solar surf at a time like this, what it's like to live on a ship uh, in this kind of world. What is it like to so it's it's sort of steampunk but in space right yeah and i love it um again steampunk is something i love so i think there's just so much about treasure island that appeals to me that i'm willing to overlook a lot of the actual narrative flaws steampunk pirates in space is it's... the aesthetic and overall feel and it's because of that that I'm going to do the thing that we sometimes do when our friend Arvin isn't on the show, which is ask an Arvin question. Would we want more of this? In this day and age of repeats, retreads, revisits, reboots, is this something we want more of? And I personally, because I love the way the world looks, I enjoy everything but the characters, I therefore would want, I think, <laughs> an actual revisit, Not maybe not of Treasure Planet, the story as told in Treasure Island, but just this idea of a steampunk, steampunk, human, animal, pirate situation done in this style. I would watch a miniseries even, I think. It was supposed to be, there was supposed to be a sequel. It was supposed to be a, a TV show. Uh, but then because the movie didn't do well and then Atlantis failed as well, um, they decided that it just wasn't the right time and the whole project was covered. But I agree. I mean, to be fair, I like Treasure Island um, and I, I like this frame, but I think I would be quite excited even if they just used this as a base to tell other stories. I think um, a, a, an animated series set in this world, especially in this age of Disney Plus, would be great. There's so many, so many directions you could take it in. So we're talking today about Treasure Planet, which came out in 2002 and was at the time um, kind of a box office and critical flop, although it really has its diehard fans, one of whom I'm honoured to be joined in the studio by, Sharmila herself. <laughs> um, I, I feel differently, but let us know. Have you seen Treasure Planet? Do you remember enjoying it? Do you plan to catch it? You can WhatsApp us 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio and write to us at movies at bfm.my. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.